Welcome to the Brand Intelligence Podcast from Intelligence Bank, the show where we pull back the curtain on some of the world's smartest brands and marketing professionals. We'll dig into how great brand marketing is the flywheel for growth and how to manage brand compliance and governance while growing a business. I'm your co-host, Tessa Court, and today we'll be taking a deep dive into the world of sports marketing and sponsorships. Joining me today to discuss all things sports marketing will be Lonnie Evans, brand manager of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation. Welcome, Lani, to the program. Thanks, Tessa. Thanks for having me. Before we get into all things brand, I firmly believe that everybody has a theme song. So tell me about your theme song and why you love it. So mine is Proud Mary, firstly, because it starts slow and you can sing it at karaoke and it's easy to do. But importantly, it's an ode to appreciate the little things in life. So I'd love to hear what yours is. I love Proud Mary. Great choice. Um, Yeah, I love this question. The first song that came into my head, which I'm going to stick with, is um, Hand in My Pocket by Alanis Morissette. I'm broke, but I'm happy. I'm poor, but I'm kind. I'm short, but I'm healthy. Yeah. I think that is a song that I can sing in the car. I cannot sing, but it is one of those songs that it just gets me in a good mood. I will wind up all the windows and sing my heart out. And I think any song you can do that to is a great theme song. And I think it's one of those songs that can be interpreted in different ways. But I think overall for me, it's whatever life throws at you, just focus on the positive and it's going to be okay. So I really like that about that song. You know, just focus on the good things in life. It's going to be okay. Yeah, I love that. And I think as a brand marketer and working to deadlines and sports sponsorship, you kind of need that motto in your back pocket, so to speak, no pun intended, because (laughs) things go wrong. And when you're working towards a big deadline with major brands and everything else, like, you know, we were talking about this the other day at work, but like keeping your head up and staying positive and staying focused is is one of those things you just always have to do, which is great. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, I always say to my team, it's okay, mistakes happen. It's okay. Let's just learn from them and let's find a solution. And that's okay. Like, we'll get through it together. So, yeah, I think that song for me encompasses that, which is really lovely. Yeah, great. So um, before you came to the Australian Grand Prix, which is an incredible organization and puts on two amazing events each year, which is no short task there. Tell me a little bit about your background and how did you get into brand management, I guess, for sporting teams? And what did you do before? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been at the Australian Grand Prix Corporation for two years now. I just had my two-year anniversary last month. And then before that, I was working at the National Rugby League in Sydney. Uh, So the National Rugby League, I was marketing manager there. So that was actually my first, I guess, step into sports marketing, uh, which was really exciting. For me, you know, it's somewhere I always wanted to end up. But I did different things, you know, before then and had some great experiences in other industries. So at university, I studied marketing and then straight after university, actually fell into the world of advertising agencies. So worked for a big, I guess, above the line international agency, which was fantastic. I would definitely recommend it to anyone who maybe doesn't have experience in it. I think you learn a lot of discipline, you know, dealing with different clients and and tight deadlines. So I did really, really love that and and learned a lot and then moved into another agency, which was more your below the line kind of smaller agency. So it was great to have, I guess, that kind of 360 degree um, view on both above the line and below the line agency. And then from there, I moved into client side and worked in FMCG 
in the world of FMCG. So I think in there you do learn, again, a lot of disciplines and really 101 brand management. FMCG is obviously very fast moving. So I really enjoyed that and was in that for a few years before landing the role at NRL. And then I saw this this role come up at Australian Grand Prix Corporation and it did require me to move from Sydney to Melbourne. But I've grown up with Formula One and, you know, working in sports, I thought, well, that's kind of a pinnacle, one of the pinnacles in Australia, if not the world. And here I am. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think, um, you know, I, I come from an agency background and I always think hiring people with agency backgrounds is a good thing because they can work under pressure. They have exposure to lots of different marketing challenges, whether it's sponsorship, brand, whatever it is. And that experience, it's, it's irreplaceable. And I know a lot of people who are agency side always want to go client side at some point. Um, and sports marketing, I think, is, you know, most people's dream to get into at some point. And you did land the dream job with, you know, Australian Grand Prix Corporation. And it is, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's one of the most watched sports in the world. Is that correct? In terms of viewership, and participation of people, I guess, tuning into it is from a TV rights perspective? Yeah, correct. Formula One is up there. At one point, it was, you know, just behind the Olympics, I guess, in overall viewership. So yeah, it is It is one of the most uh, popular sports, you know, and it's just continuing to grow, which is, which is really exciting. It's uh, a really great time to be involved in the sport. You know, there's just so many opportunities at the moment. And I guess our audience is are growing and diversifying, um, which from a brand point of view is really exciting to work with. Yeah, great. So I guess in your role there, what does a day in the life look like? So what are the sorts of things that you do and how is that changing over time kind of as the sport's growing and, you know, as your viewers are growing and the opportunities? And, and I know this is more from a U.S. perspective, but there was a Netflix series that just came out about Formula One, which is just created crazy interest in the sport as well. But yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about like your day to day and then also how is that evolving over time and what what does that look like? Because a lot of people I know just from talking to, you know, people who are studying marketing or people just starting out in their careers, like sports marketing is just one of those hot areas of interest and, you know, understanding like what you do every day would be would be really interesting to hear about. Yeah, of course. I guess it's hard in any job it's hard to kind of pinpoint a typical day, but I guess for me I head up the brand team. So that involves, I guess, the brand management side and also uh, the graphic design side as well. Um, so I lead the graphic design team. So it's exciting because I get, you know, those very different elements within my role. So from a graphic design perspective, I guess we service the whole business. So, you know, we could be doing, you know, big campaigns and advertising through to, you know, maps um, that we use at the event. So it's a really, you know, broad spectrum that we deal with and our graphic designers are absolutely amazing. So love working with them, overseeing what they're doing, brainstorming any new ideas, looking at different processes, that kind of thing. And then from a brand management point of view, which is obviously more my bread and butter, looking at different strategies. So I work on the brand strategy for both our F1 and MotoGP events looking at how we build our brand awareness, you know, our consideration, pushing people into that marketing funnel to attend our events. And then once they attend, how can we get them to attend year on year? So I think everything I do every day kind of ladders up to that strategy that I have in place, you know, working on our 
big campaigns. You know, we've got MotoGP on sale at the moment. So tickets are live for that. So, you know, it's constantly looking at, okay, well, this product's selling really well. This one might be a little bit slower. How can we talk to those audiences and push those products a bit more? And I think in, you know, in sports and in, in our company, you do have to really be on your toes because, again, you, you know, you're working up to these on-sale dates to sell out these events. But, you know, you can do your research and you can have your, you know, KPIs and objectives and um, growth targets. But at the end of the day, you don't know how an event is going to sell out. You can, you know, you can only predict as much as data and research will let you. So it is exciting to see, okay, that's selling really well. This one, maybe not so much. How can we pivot? What can we do? So I really love that. There's always, I guess, a new challenge and opportunity that comes up. Because you're also dealing with things like, you know, how well different drivers are doing. So if you're, let's say, for the MotoGP, if you're a Ducati fan, if the motorcyclists are great for a couple of years and then let's say they fall off and there's another, like it's Yamaha or whatever it is, fan support would would attribute that. And weather, I would assume, is a huge thing. So, I mean, I know we had tickets to MotoGP last year. And the clouds were opening, but, you know, the way that you just have to kind of think of everything, don't you? So not only thinking about the brand and making sure it's super consistent, but you have to plan for like every single situation, I guess, weather and, you know, venue and everything like that. Oh, 100%. Yeah, exactly. Like for MotoGP last year, Mark Marquez is one of the best and and most popular riders. Um, And he was injured for a lot of the season. And we had absolutely no idea if he was coming. And he is obviously such a big draw card. Thankfully, in the end, he did come and he did really well in the race. So it was great for us, but we couldn't, you know, I guess leverage him as much as we'd like in the lead up because we didn't know till quite late if he was actually going to be cleared to race. So yeah, you know, you you have to work around that. Yeah, weather at Phillip Island for MotoGP wasn't our friend last year in the lead up. It was it was really tough. You know, we had to cancel some some campgrounds and and car parking. But at the end of the day, we always say the you know our fan is at the heart of everything we do, and we didn't want to cancel that. But we just knew that the fan experience um, was going to be you know not up to the standard that we wanted and and not okay and and safe for them. Thankfully, across the actual weekend of the race, the the sun came out. And it ended up being a beautiful Saturday, yeah. Sunday. So <laughs> yeah. that was good. Long-term forecasts are saying we will not have those issues again this year. So that's exciting. But again, it's it's outdoor events. So you, you never know. But yes, you know, I have to work closely with, I guess, the operations team to figure out, okay, what are our backup weather plans? And, and then work with, you know, the wider marketing team and communications team. It's like, okay, how do we communicate that to our fans and make sure they understand, you know, we're doing everything we can. Yeah, because it's the brand experience. Because, you know, when I was at Formula One earlier in the year, everything, you know, being a font and a logo fanatic myself and looking at, you know, all the signage and like everything is pixel perfect and beautifully done and amazing. And the signage is great and you can find where you're going and everything whether it's co-branded or even how, you know, the different sponsors have their own tents, like the brand guidelines that you guys have put in place are really, really incredible. But it does come down to experience. So if somebody, and you want everyone to come and have a great experience and talk about it and come next year, but it's, it's controlling the uncontrollable, right? So you can, you can control a lot from a graphics perspective and, you know, managing the design team, but it's how brand has to work really closely with operations is, is an interesting 
I guess, side of sports marketing, because it's about brand experience, too, and how your customers and fans really kind of participate. Well, I mean, you guys pulled it off beautifully this past year, but I think that's a really interesting part of sports marketing that, you know, it's, it's a little different from FMCG or B2B marketing or, wh- or whatever it is, but it's that customer experience and brand that are that are really tied together as as one as really as one metric, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. What, you know, what I uh, talk to the operations team about is I say where, you know, in a nutshell, I think from a brand marketing point of view and a wider marketing point of view, we're responsible for making sure fans attend and then operations obviously support them wanting to come back. Right. You know, it's like we could have the best marketing campaign in the world, but if they go to the event and they have a horrible time, it doesn't matter how good our marketing campaign is, they won't come back. So it's just making sure that we're working hand in hand to, you know, bring those people to our event when they come and say, this is incredible, I'm coming back next year. So it is that figuring out the, you know, the balance between that. What I love about it is it's what you guys have done, which is really interesting, is that there's something for everybody. So as you might have recognized, I am married to a petrol head who loves all sorts of like I've been down the main street at Phillip Island at 220 k's an hour as a pillion <laughs> reluctantly but I've done it so um so there's the people who are like really into motorsports and then there's the spectacle of it and so I think from a marketing perspective and a brand perspective is as having a brand that's appealing to the diehard you know motocross fans and people who are you know into car and motorcycle racing is is obviously your core target market, but then broadening it out so people like me can have a great time. And even though I have no idea, like I know who Mark Marquez is because I hear it on the TV every time my husband's watching it at, you know, 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday night. But, you know, for people like me who I enjoy it, but I'm not, you know, a super fan, creating that experience for everyone, I think you guys have done a great job. Is that a core part of your strategy about you know, broadening the scope for more people. Cause I, and I saw some things for kids even. So like really making it having a wide appeal, I guess, from a sports marketing perspective, is that a big part of the strategy as well? Thank you. Yeah, definitely. That's, you know, I think one of my big focus points is to grow and diversify our audiences. For both MotoGP and F1, we have that core audience base. You know, we love them. They're our, they're our you know, heart and soul of our event. And then it's looking for those opportunities you know, to grow that fan base. I mean, currently, as per our contract, we have MotoGP till 2026 and um, Formula One until 2037, which is really exciting. So, you know, it's not about thinking just about the next event. It's thinking about years down the track and making sure that, you know, people keep wanting to come. So, yeah, like you said, it's definitely, and that, again, goes back to working with the operations team. It's like, okay, well, from an advertising and brand point of view, let's say I want to target you know, families and try and grow that audience. But I have to align with the operations and build team and the activations team to make sure there's something for families there. So it really has to go hand in hand what we're trying to achieve. So working on those overlining objectives together is really important. But yeah, it is, like I said, it is a big focus for my strategy. Diversifying our audiences is just so exciting, especially you mentioned it before, the Drive to Survive show for F1 has brought in all these new fans, which is really exciting. And for us, it's like, okay, well, it's one thing to be watching Drive to Survive in your trackies on your couch at home, but converting those people to actually want to spend their weekend and their hard-earned money to Mm. come to the event is a whole other story. 
but you know for both MotoGP and F1 it's like okay what can we do we want to make sure that you know it's not just the hardcores coming like for you if it's your husband it's like we want him to bring you and you want to come and we want kids to come and have something to do so it's making sure yeah we do we do cater for everyone so it can you can come with friends you can come by yourself you can come with family you can come with kids. It's really exciting and there's there's lots of opportunities there and something I think we do really well. And again, that's where we can bring partners on board to help. You know, we have a great music lineup at both events and we make sure that music, you know, aligns with the audiences that are going to be Ooh. there. So yep. it's really exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. And so just on that, I guess, shifting gears a little, no pun intended, shifting gears a little bit. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> so, you know, Ted Lasso, which is, you know, such a great show and is, yep. you know, I think won the hearts and minds of, you know, the entire planet, even as sponsored by Nike, right? In the sense, and product placement plays a massive role in sports marketing, whether, you know, you know, obviously with the F1 cars or the motorcycles getting or MotoGP getting sponsored, you know, like every tire, every wheel, every fender, you know, having logo placement. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, just in general, whether it's for, Australian Grand Prix or even for NRL, like what's the role of product placement in sports marketing? Why is that important? And how big is that? And we, we know it's big, right? We know like when an athlete wears a logo, it makes all the difference and sales go up. But can you just talk a little bit about that dynamic for people who are listening to podcasts who don't really understand product placement? I mean, it happens in mo- it happens everywhere, but sports marketing is probably the pinnacle of that because you have the best of the best of the world competing and then wearing logos and brands. So if you could just talk a little bit about that, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, with product placement within sports, it's that you know, that positive association, right? Like the thing that I love the most, I think, about working in sports is that the fans that are coming to watch the sport that you work in, that's how they spend their free time and that's how they want to spend their hard-earned money. And I think that, you know, I just love that. I love that we can work in an industry where we're giving people their happiness and what they want to do on the weekend and creating, you know, memories with their family and friends. I think it's really lovely. There's so much storytelling in that. So I think partners can see that and sponsors can see that. It's like the fans and the people that are watching are really passionate. They're choosing to do this in their free time. So they are going to be quite involved in everything going on. So I think that cut through for products in sports is is really, really powerful just because of the intensity and passion, like I said, of the people watching and having that a positive association, like I said. You know, from a brand point of view, awareness and consideration are so important. You know, they're at the top of the, the marketing funnel and we need that in order for people to eventually purchase our product, whatever that product might be. And I think sports is really great at that awareness piece and increasing people's consideration. Whether they're in the market to buy that product right now, that doesn't matter because they will be one day and that will be the brand that's that's top of mind. And you said it before, Tessa, like you look at Cristiano Ronaldo and um, Messi, they've got the biggest Instagram followers at the moment. It's not movie stars up there, it's it's sports stars. So um, sports stars are bigger than movie stars at the moment, which is a really exciting place for sport to be 
and for partners to come on board in that sense as well. So when when you're trying to get a sponsor on board or when a sponsor does join with a team or joins just for the event, as an example, how do you talk about ROI? Because it's hard to measure sometimes, right? And, you know, obviously, if, you know, you're sponsoring a rider or a driver and they win, there's, you know, your logo all over the car or the motorcycle and you get the broadcast exposure globally. So that's really for big global brands. But how do you guys think about helping sponsors achieve their ROI on those sorts of things? It's a great question. And I think there's one that's obviously not a black and white answer for something like that, because it, you know, it differs, it differs so much. I think for our event, you know, I work closely with the amazing sales and partnerships team who obviously are responsible for bringing those partners on board. And again, making sure they align to our audiences. That's within our brand strategy. Some things are a lot easier to measure than than others. For example, you know, if we do digital display on our website, if we have them in emails, we can look at click-through rates, open rates, and that ROI is a lot easier to measure. The thing that can be tricky for us is at event. We've had partners sponsor the main stage where our music acts are, and we can say, okay, well, the music that night is tailored to, you know, the 18 to 34-year-olds. So we want to make sure we bring a partner on board who has that target market as well. We have brands that sponsor gate one. So their signage is all around the main the main entrance. And that kind of thing is really hard to give a result or number on. It's really tricky. So, you know, what we do is we look at attendance figures and kind of base I guess, the value and the ROI on that. And I'm big into research. I love my research and I love my data. (laughs) So any opportunity I get to do some research, I'd put my hand up for. And I think that partnership piece is a big one. So working really closely with the partnership and sales team and we do post-event research, you know, so we can ask people what their experience was like. And again, I can give that to the ops team and say, operations team, and say, okay, this is what people are feeding back. And then we can also use it for ROI because we can see, okay, how many people in the research came to the main stage? How many people went through gate one? Um, What was the, you know, portion of family fans who fit into that family target market? How many did they come to the event? And then we can ask if partners have activations at our event. We have questions in there. Did you interact with this activation? What did you think of it? And there's a lot more, there's a lot more involved in that. Because it's really up to the partner as well, right? Like they've got to make it great too. So it's like you provide the venue and the excitement and the fans and the theme, right? And the theme song sometimes, the the band and whoever's there. (laughs) But but it's really up to the partner who has to make it great. And they've got to also partner with you guys to imagine and to innovate on how they can then bring their product to life within that environment. Is that kind of how you guys position it and how you work with them? Yeah, because you could do some really in in, like whether it's beverage or, you know, I was a guest with a technology provider and they did some really cool things with the tech. Like they were able to bring the event to life with technology in a way that only it made sense with technology. You know, so they had they had some of the um, engineers speak about the technical side of things, which I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of make their sponsorship. So, of course, I'm thinking about it as a brand, you know, as a brand marketer, <laughs> right? So I'm like, oh, that's a nice tie-in. But um, yeah, they were able to kind of make it relevant um, as well. So I, I love it when they're able to do that. Tell me a little bit about innovation and technology and like, what are some of the things that you're seeing 
whether it's with Australian Grand Prix Corporation or with, you know, general sports marketing about how people are innovating with brand and sponsorship, like NFTs, you know, have been all the rage um, for a while. And, you know, just with technology, you can do just some really cool and amazing things. Um, what are you seeing, whether it's through, you know, what you're doing in Australian Grand Prix Corporation or even, you know, in other sports marketing, like what's exciting you about the use of technology in sports marketing in general? It is. Uh, there's a lot out there and it's it's a really, um, you know, exciting time. And especially in sports, I feel like sports are definitely leading leading the way, it seems, um, in, in some of these areas, which is really exciting. You know, I think there's a lot of opportunities there to look at, which is exciting, working on, you know, a couple of things in the background at, at the moment and, um, you know, exploring different things. You know, I did see um, Formula One have been trialling a new type of advertising on the actual cars. So they have a screen on the cars that kind of rotate through sponsors so they can fit more sponsors on their car and obviously get more money, which I found really interesting because, not to get too technical, but with a Formula One car, they have to be a certain weight. Obviously, weight is going to slow the car down. So I thought, oh, they've got these digital screens on the car, but they've put so much, you know, technology into them that they're so light and they're just rotating through the sponsors. So I thought that was that was really interesting because I guess, you know, a Formula One car is such a static product once the sponsor's on, they're on, but not anymore. So that was um that was really exciting to see. And, you know, it'd be great if if MotoGP could, you know, start looking at that as well. I think that opens up a lot of doors. One of my personal favorites that I just will watch video after video on is these 3D billboards that seem to be everywhere. I just think some of them are just so clever, so clever. I would love to be able to do um, one of those. I know there is one in Melbourne CBD, so I might be looking into that. <laughs> yeah, great. But I just think, you know, things like that, like one of the reasons I love the 3D billboard is the 3D billboards I was looking at, I wasn't standing in front of them. You know, they were in New York and I'm not in New York, but I love that it's something that, you know, is an outdoor billboard, but it's getting traction on social media. I think anything like that, that can get traction outside of its intended channel is really exciting. Yep. Um, and yep. I think that's why I love that. Like it's it's almost newsworthy if you do it really well and you do something. And I think with, you know, racing, you could do something really cool with that. Exactly, exactly. And that's what, you know, we're we're underway working on Formula One for, for next year um, in 2024. So MotoGP is well underway. We're live in market now with that, which is really exciting. Um, you know, starting the work for Formula One next year. So I think it's important as well to think about, you know, kind of what I mentioned, how can this, this work outside of its, you know, original channel. So I want to make sure I'm talking to the, to the communita- communications team and saying, okay, can this work from a PR opportunity, like a 3D, 3D billboard? Could that work from a PR opportunity? Um, could we get our social media team down there and do a video with it? Could we get our video team down there? and do something. So thinking of it, I guess, what we do, not just from a brand point of view, but how we can leverage, um, you know, I guess other areas in the business. Um, and I think that's what's really exciting about, um, these different, um, technologies and marketing now that they do get those, that traction. When also, because you're talking about an event that happens once a year, 
um, in in Australia at least, as an example. I mean, people who are diehard fans are following, you know, the international tour and what's happening, you know, globally. But here, you know, keeping people excited about the event year round, I think, is something that you use technology in a really interesting way um, to do um, all the time. But um, I guess one of the things that you and I had talked about at Intelligence Bank Live um, a couple of months ago is the really interesting dynamic between getting brand rules right. So <laughs> you can kind of be in double jeopardy because the Australian Grand Prix Corporation licenses F1 and the Correct. MotoGP brand, but then in turn, you guys are managing sponsors who are also managing the Australian Grand Prix Corporation brand as well as MotoGP and or Australian Grand Prix. So how does that work logistically? Because to me, that just sounds like a double jeopardy matrix <laughs> of, you know, tons of complexity. Can you talk a little bit about those relationships and the sorts of things that you guys have to be mindful about from a brand management perspective? Yeah, absolutely. And yes, it, it is complex. You know, for me, it's really important that the Australian Grand Prix Corporation has its own brand and identity as an event, as one of the biggest events in Australia. So that was really important to me. And then, like you said, we have to work, you know, with Formula One and Dorna. So Dorna is MotoGP's owner and we have to work really closely with them to ensure that, you know, both of the event brands we have for MotoGP and F1 align with their global brand and, and positioning and strategy. But it's really good. I feel like we do have a lot of autonomy in our strategy and, and brand, but we just have to make sure that, you know, we're aligned, obviously not going too rogue, but at the end of the day, you know, we are after, you know, similar objectives, which, which really helps. So I think there's a lot of work up front with my team and Formula One and Dorna to have that alignment up front. So then once we bring partners on board, um, we're very clear in what the, you know, regulations and compliances need to be. Yeah. There was, you know, a lot of back and forth over emails and things. And that's when we, you know, we came to you and just said, look, we've got all these partners. We've got both global and local brand guidelines. You know, we need a platform that's going to help streamline this process. And you obviously came with this amazing solution and it's it's been, you know, so helpful Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think you had like, you have like over 100 partners and you have like over 500 brand approval requests that, you know, you guys were doing that over email. And the fact that you can have an auditable system that you can then report up to, I guess, the licensors, and then you guys <laughs> can then just track it better just means that you can work on more strategic things and not work on things that are you know, take the marketing admin out of your life. While oh, you're 100%. Exactly. Yeah. And we've uploaded all the brand guidelines onto what we call our brand hub. Yes. That's our internal word for it. Yeah. So all our guidelines are on brand hub. And then we have a, you know, how to get started. So when partners, you know, we onboard partners, there's a how to get started page, they've got the guideline page, and then they can upload the artwork. And internally, we've worked out, I guess, the best approval process, like who approves what, you know, who has to be involved. And yet it's just saved so much time. The partnerships team absolutely love it when we took it to them. And the partners have been really pleased with it as well, because at the end of the day, it's less emails in their inbox and everything's in one place. So it's it's just really streamlined everything, not just for us in marketing, but 
partnerships and the actual partners themselves, which is a huge win. It's really the service you're providing them, right? Like because they're sponsoring. So they want to know what they can and can't do. And and I have a firm view, like regardless of the industry, nobody wants to do the wrong thing, right? Like everybody <laughs> wants to adhere to the brand guidelines, but it's so easy to go off brand, especially if you're trying to adhere to Australian Grand Prix Corporation guidelines and then you've got MotoGP and or, you know, Formula One, you know, so you're kind of, again, I call it that double jeopardy kind of, it's a double layer. So there's a lot to think about. So mm-hmm. if people can self-serve that and understand what to do up front and also to see what does great look like, like, and, and you have so many awesome partners and the fact that you can easily show them what good looks like and what you shouldn't be doing, then people will just go off and do the right thing. And then it makes everyone's life a thousand times easier. Because I think, you know, when things get stuck in email or PDFs, that's when things can go off the rails. I always I always laugh about, you know, do you ever get like crazy requests from people that are just so outrageous? And you're like, uh, no, you cannot have, you know, that driver come to your house for dinner um, or do whatever is part of the sponsor. Like, what, are, what do you have any like funny stories about things that people have tried to do or requested or things like that? Yeah, it is. Yeah, you do get some funny ones, I guess, over the years. There's been a couple over the years where, you know, they'll upload their artwork and you'll look at it and they haven't got like a call to action. They haven't got anything on it. And you're like, hang on, I, I'm not quite sure what this is doing. Like you're actually quite confused, but then it gives you an opportunity to say, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, be the little test audience for you and, you know, talk them through it. I've had one a while ago. I've had one partner. So we had our our personal, you know, campaign live in market. And then a partner said, oh, we want to come on board. And they took our campaign and then took our logo off and put their logo on and uploaded it for approval. <laughs> I was Excellent like, creative execution. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we won't be doing that this week. Yes. <laughs> I was like, that's laziness 101 right there. But again, it was it was nothing intentional on their end. And it, they, you know, it was a compliment. They're like, oh, we just loved it so much. We just thought we might be able to put our logo on it. So again, it was that, it was a good opportunity to have that education with them and just, you yeah. know, set those standards. And I think that's why I love our brand hub so much because I feel like conversations like that are a lot limited because you go on and we have look a great partnerships team and um, great partners, but everything is is there in a centralized system. You know, nothing's getting lost yeah. in email, nothing's getting, you know, not passed on to the right person. When you're in our brand hub to upload, you know, the artwork you can check it against the guidelines then and there. So it just makes those those interesting partnership artworks that have been uploaded in the past, it makes them less, less likely, um, which is always good. I'll have to share this with you as one ex-agency person to another. So when I was at Ogilvy, uh, we loved our client, like we had great clients, but sometimes we get a client who'd be like, yeah, I want to do this. And it was so bad. And we we're like, okay, if you pay double, maybe we'll consider it and it can just have a private viewing. But no, you can't run that. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was quite funny. But listen, you're just amazing what you do, you and your team. You're so inspirational. Um, and I just love how you guys run the event. I love how you run your brand and the brand compliance side of it. You just do an awesome job. If you had some advice to give to people who want to be you because you do have, you know, the best job in Australia, I think, from a brand <laughs> management perspective, 
What advice would you give to people who want to pursue a career in sports marketing and sports branding like you have? Oh, thanks, Tessa. That's very sweet. Look, I think for me, I think experience is really important. I feel like there's some people, and it's easy to do. You just think, okay, I want to work in sports marketing. I have to get there now, now, now. But you don't. I think, you know, I like I said, I worked in agency. I worked in FMCG before I fell into to sports marketing. And I'm really glad I had that experience in different industries because I feel like there are some people at work who have just worked in sports marketing and, you know, they're amazing, but it is really nice to come in and be able to bring, you know, a different perspective and some different learnings. So I just think, you know, don't be deterred if you don't fall into it straight away or there's no opportunities right now. I think it's just continue learning, get experience where you can, because it's all going to apply. It doesn't have to be you know, directly related to learn about brand management and dealing with people and, you know, overcoming problems. So I just think there's no rush. The opportunity will come. Just get that experience up. And I think the other side to that, which I found really important over the years is relationships and and networking. You know, my previous boss would always say, Lani, make sure you network. You just never know when you're going to need someone or when an opportunity might come up of someone, you know, you've met. So I think that's really important as well. You know, sports marketing can be a very, even marketing in general, like it's it's a small industry. So just keep, you know, those relationships and networking up and you never know what doors it will open in the future. Yeah, that's some great advice. We'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for joining us. You are an inspiration. And for those of you listening, definitely Get your tickets for next year's Australian Formula One Grand Prix and then also the MotoGP, which is super fun. Even if you're not a motorcycle fan, it is absolutely the most amazing event to go witness. So thanks again, Lani. We'll speak soon. Thank you so much, Tessa. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Brand Intelligence. We hope you enjoyed our discussion with Lani. If you have any questions or feedback, please send us an email at podcast at intelligencebank.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, share it with others who might be interested in the world of branding and marketing. And if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode. You can subscribe where the podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you download your podcasts. Once again, thank you for listening and see you next time on Brand Intelligence.